Have you ever met one of those people who just can't be stopped? It's like they're unstoppable. Yeah, I have. Me too. What's their mystique? Nothing stops these people. Welcome to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. You're about to meet some of the most amazing people. They've accomplished their goals despite insurmountable odds. They beat adversity, physical hardship, and traumatic events and emerge triumphantly. They're people just like you and me. And they're winners. Are you unstoppable? Here's Frankie to show you how. Well, hello there, and welcome to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I am your host, Frankie Picasso, and I am so excited to be here with you all today. Well, we have another unstoppable guest, and as usual, we're going to go on a mission, and today's mission includes raising your dream. How about that? My guest today has been in the business of transforming lives and raising dreams for more than 25 years. She is a former correctional officer and has gone from working in the jails to becoming a corporate dispute resolution expert who now travels the world teaching the principles of collaboration, partnership, and sponsorship. She's also a best-selling author of five books and has been featured in six others, no less. Charmaine Hammond is our guest, and she has had tremendous success in finding corporate sponsors to fund her own speaking and book projects, events, and tours, including her printing, her graphic design, venues, travel, media, technology, hotels, and even her pet food and dog poop bags. Yeah! She's (laughs) developed sponsorship relationships with more than 40 sponsors and 60 business partners. That's Pretty phenomenal. Her speaking and her recent speaking and book tour, Million Acts of Kindness, involved a 14,000-kilometer tour in a 32-foot sponsored motorhome where she secured hotels and sponsored for her team and more than 40 businesses and retail chains raising funds in their stores and businesses to support this movement, A Million Acts of Kindness. Welcome, Charmaine Hammond. Let's see how kind we get today. (laughs) Yes, let's get some kindness spread around. Yeah. (laughs) Boy, this is phenomenal. But this is this is Mission Unstoppable. And in addition to, you know, finding out about your business and everything that you've been up to, um, I like to take people back to the very beginning because our listeners yeah. want to know how you become unstoppable. You know, how does it come about? So let's go back to little Charmaine, the little girl who, you know, what was your family like? What did you grow up? Where are you in the family, uh, you know, sisters, oh, brothers? Yeah. Getting lead. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I grew up in Ontario, just outside Toronto, Burlington. So, oh, okay. um, yeah, I, and uh, I was painfully shy as a child. I was, um, you know, in those days, it wasn't as uh, unnerving to talk to strangers, but I was terrified sure. to talk to strangers. It didn't look like when people would look at me and, uh, you know, I felt awkward and my most... Um, traumatizing times were gym class you know I don't know if you remember those days where yes. they sit the students on two benches and then the kids would pick the team I was always last and I know no. some of the listeners yeah I know and there's listeners that can relate to that it oh, was yeah. just an awful experience plus I sucked at sports so I mean it could have been the, that was the reason that I didn't get picked that's interesting <laughs> but, okay yeah but you know it was a grade nine teacher in Burlington Ontario Ms. Erstikade that completely changed that for me. She brought me out of my shell and out of my shyness. Wow. And so where were you in the family um, dynamic? Oldest. You're the oldest, oldest of how many? Yes. 
three girls. So um, all girls. Yeah, wow. all girls. Yeah, my poor dad. He <laughs> 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 he had far too many conversations about boys that we had crushes on and how do you get rid of pimples. <laughs> yeah, I bet. Poor guy. Uh, I, we had that around our table, too. <laughs> so funny. I love that. And and when you were, you know, dreaming about a life, um, I don't think you were dreaming about being a prison guard. <laughs> what, what did Not you dream then. about being? Yeah. What you know, I, I always dreamt about helping people. That was yeah. always um, in it somehow. I remember being about 12 and... Um, I think it was the Muscular Dystrophy Association in those days used to work with kids to host backyard carnivals. And so I hosted a backyard carnival when I was about uh, 12 years old. And I invited Mm -hmm. one of the neighborhood uh, uh, neighbors, Karen, to be the fortune teller. And then my dad helped me make one of those sponge toss um, contraptions. And, you know, we did little outdoor races and, I had so much fun and it wasn't, it was, I had so much fun at the event and working in collaboration with these other neighbors, but you know, deep down what was even more fun was the feeling that I was giving back somehow. And my, my family was always active in volunteering. My mom used to canvas for, you know, heart and stroke foundation and Mm -hmm. all of the different campaigns. And so we toddle along with her. And so I think at a very early age, you know, our family taught us about, um, service and contribution and, and being a good community member. And, and um, I knew deep in my heart that as I grew up to be an adult, that would be the type of profession that I would pursue. Although I didn't think it would be, you know, helping other people in the jail system. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> How did that come about? I, I'm going to blame it all on my grade nine teacher, Ms. Okay. She, she, I just, you know, I'm, I'm in touch with her now. We've become Facebook friends, which is oh, so cool. cool. She was my grade nine English teacher, and um, she not only helped me overcome my shyness through hosting these debates in class every week where we had to speak strongly on an issue that we didn't care about. So we were, you know, as students, we were all on the same playing field. We all had yeah. the same disadvantage, and I was able to participate freely. And I, it, I remember being in one class, and it was the first time that I had ever felt so confident you know, I just, and, and in my conversations with Ms. Ursicatus, who taught English, one of the assignments we had to do was to look forward into our future mm-hmm. and, um, you know, see what we would be doing. And at that time, I, um, I think I knew it was going to be in the helping profession and a little bit of risk, although I knew it wasn't going to be a police officer because guns mm-hmm. terrify me. <laughs> I'd be afraid of shooting myself by accident. Yeah. And, and the and I think I you know in grade nine you want to challenge your mom and dad a little bit so I think I looked at Kreshkins because it kind of gave me that helping feeling and a little bit of risk to kind of show my mom and dad I can I can do this I can be tough and it was it was a transformational experience working in that system oh, especially I when I moved to working with young offenders that was really my passion working with the kids. Nice. Did you um, have a pet growing up? I know that you and I share a love for animals. Mm, I did. As long as I can remember, we had Johnny mm-hmm. the budgie and we had George, <laughs> Georgina the <laughs> rabbit and we had fish and, and we had cats and dogs growing up. Probably my um, most treasured pet was a, a little dog that we had named Duchess. And she was just, uh, she became my best friend. Aww. See, I always wanted to be a vet. Like from day Did one, you? probably. Yeah, oh, I wow. want to be a vet. And a radio host. 
<laughs> I remember being 12 and traveling to Guelph to, to see the university and go, oh, I'm going to go there one day and become a vet. And I, and I don't know why I didn't, but ah. you know, I, I would have thought you might have wanted to do something like that. Well, you know, I hate, I, I I'm not you good with pain. pain. So oh, yeah, okay. if I, if I could just treat all the good stuff, yeah, <laughs> and exactly. love on them. I'd be, I'd be in good shape. <laughs> I think that's what happened to me. That we had a, we had a farm, and, and the country vet came oh. out, and it was a gentleman's farm. My dad, you know, t- worked on the weekends, and uh, he he took the horns off one of the cows. We had a cow that liked to, you know, kind of go after people. So he took these horns off, and after that day, I said, No, I can't do that. I don't want to yeah. do that. Yeah, cruel and unusual punishment. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but you know, I was reading, I was reading your book and one of your books on on Toby's terms. And in the beginning of the book, you talk about you know you're you're sailing and hiking and doing all this wonderful physical activity that you didn't like to do apparently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so what did you come to a, t- a I, I don't know a resolution with with physical fitness that you started to love it or was it just your husband then <laughs> your boyfriend Chris that made it all possible. Time. Yeah. yeah, I mean, Chris is so physically active. He's one of these people that any sport he tries, he just aces. He's so yeah. good at it. And I'm awkward and clumsy. But, you know, one of the things I love, Frankie, about having a dog is it, you know, we, those uh, walk times are part of our fitness, yeah. but it's also part of our family time. It's a chance to just kind of decompress from the day. And, and our dog, Toby, is so playful and um you know, he's quite the comedian and, and loves to entertain us and anybody else who will watch. And, and so fitness became, I think, more of a daily routine for me um, through the dog. I mean, I could easily make an excuse why I'm not going to go to the gym, but yes. I would I could not make an excuse why I wouldn't take Toby for walks every day. And, you know, you, know, you, you and I both live in Canada and mm-hmm. the winters can be brutal. And now you're moving to California, lucky girl. Um, <laughs> exactly. But, you know... It's only a dog owner that's out there at minus, you know, 20 with their dogs going, yeah, my dog needs exercise. <laughs> you know, last night, it was pouring to. rain in Vancouver. You have to. You're right. And it was pouring rain in Vancouver. And all of a sudden, I hear this voice behind me. And it's my husband, Chris. And he said, Charmaine, you didn't warn me about the skunk over here. And I thought, oh, no, not again. And Toby had just uh, just missed, you know, another yet another skunk. But, there, you oh, know, we've we've no. had to deal with so many skunk sprays at midnight and you know all these yeah. things and and uh but it's part of it's it's part of what we do for you know our family whether they be human or pets well i definitely want to get into talking about the dogs a, a little bit later but we're going to mm-hmm. go to a commercial break in just about two minutes um but i want let, let's start with well you do have a wonderful story about you know save your husband you saving your husband to be and i think that's, <laughs> a, that's a really great story because i think it really sets you up as you know, somebody who really is unstoppable and determined mm. and, you know, will do anything for those, you know, for really just about anybody, I would think, even though you loved him very much. Um, I think that that's a really wonderful story. So can we tell that story when we come back? Sure. I love telling that story. That's a great story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and definitely, you know, I want to talk about raising a dream because, Honestly, you know, that's why you're here to help all of us raise our own dreams. And definitely we need to talk about Toby 1 and Toby 2. Because mm-hmm. um, they're Absolutely. very important in, in the scheme of everything in your life <laughs> and the lives of all of us out here, really, because they're beautiful stories. So we have all of that to look forward to with Charmaine. While we are doing um, our commercial break, and just before we go to our commercial break, you can go and visit Charmaine um, at her website. 
And I will tell you what it is in just a moment. <laughs> it's www.raiseadream.com. And we're going to go, you can go visit that while we're, while we're there. And you can um, just wait for us to come back from our commercial break because we don't want you to go anywhere because Charmaine has so much stuff to talk to you about. Can you imagine going from corrections to a five-time author and also <laughs> in six other books? Like, wow, that's incredible. <laughs> Just love all the work that you've been doing, Charmaine. You're an incredible Thank person. Thank you. Yeah, very, very special. We will be right back from this break. Don't go anywhere. Don't stop. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Don't stop. ever get nervous riding in an elevator because you're afraid the cable might snap? It's entered my mind more than once. According to Elevator World magazine, on the rare occasion a cable breaks, the car won't hunge plunge to the bottom. This is because elevators have as many as 10 cables holding them up, each capable of supporting a fully loaded car. Sometimes I feel a little mischievous in elevators. Next time you're feeling like a rapscallion, try one of these little jokes. When there's only one other person in the elevator, tap them on the shoulder and then pretend it wasn't you. Push one of the buttons and pretend it gave you a shock. Or maybe start a sing-along. What's a word for a person who thinks he's funny but no one else does? Vitzel soup. I'm Carolyn Davidson and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. Have you tried to get on a regular exercise program but find that you keep quitting? I know that's frustrating, but there is a way to rise above it. Changing your approach may be all you need. You may feel burned out or exhausted because you're overdoing it. Going from getting no exercise at all to working out several days a week at a high intensity is bound to make you quit. Maybe you find walking on the treadmill boring, or when you cycle, you think, do I really have to do this the rest of my life? Or you may be so sore that you can barely get yourself up to exercise the next day. Be sensible. Find an exercise mode that you love doing. Get proper instruction. Don't skip your workouts and mix it up. Do a variety of things and don't let boredom set in. Keep up the good work and don't quit. All of your time and effort are well worth it. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. Like us on Facebook. All right. Well, you just heard a commercial by Annette Hammond, who's a fitness expert, but we have Charmaine Hammond with us, who says she's clearly not. (laughs) That's not, I'm not a fitness expert. No, we're leaving that to Annette. (laughs) (laughs) But we are back and she does something that's, that's very special, but we're going to get more into that in just a moment because we are going to talk about a very, very special time in your life, a life altering time when you really showed the world how unstoppable you are and your and your partner <laughs> you bet you bet well you know it's it's uh, we were living in uh, Lac La Biche area Plamondon actually a little tiny community about uh, two and a half hours north of Edmonton mm-hmm. and uh, Chris who was my boyfriend at the time he'd been sailing forever he grew up actually he had a sailboat before he had a car so oh, he wow. sailed yeah he sailed in Ontario all the time and 
and uh, was in the Navy Reserves. I had never sailed, but I was going to knock this out of the park. So we had a little mm-hmm. sailboat, a little catamaran, and um, a 16-foot Hobie cat catamaran, sort of like the ones you see on the beaches at the at the all you know the all-inclusive resorts. Sure. And so we went out sailing, and it was beautiful. Although northern Alberta, I just got to do a side by here. Northern Alberta in August is still terribly cold. You know, yeah. the, the the ice doesn't come off the lake until June, late May or June. But we had been sailing for a couple of hours, having a great time. The wind was perfect, and and uh, we hit a massive gust of wind, and and the boat flipped. And for Chris, that's kind of a woohoo moment. You know, he uh-huh. flips boats for fun. Oh, wow. <laughs> I don't get that, Frankie. But <laughs> yeah, he, he uh, you know, he was he was totally fine with it. But for me, the shock of hitting the, the cold water, we didn't have yeah. wetsuits on. You know, the shock of hitting the cold water, and I'm sort of, I was in what they call a trapeze harness, which is a sort of a diaper-like contraption that you're hooked onto the line that goes to the top of the mast, and that allows you to kind of hang out. It's almost like a parasail in a way. Yeah, yeah, and it allows you to kind of hang out over the boat. You see it on movies all the time, and the whole purpose of that is keeping the boat in the water. So when we went over, I'm kind of in this contraption and couldn't get out. And uh, so, you know, in that moment, I thought, I hate sailing. And I was really angry um, at at Chris. What's really interesting Frankie, and you might have experienced this in life, is sometimes when we become afraid, we just go immediately into anger. Yes. You know? Yeah. And and that's what I did. So I was so angry, I just wanted to go home. And Chris said, you know, we're going to write the boat. It's going to take a couple of minutes. He explained exactly how we were going to flip the boat back over and get on it and keep sailing. And that's exactly what we did. We got the boat flipped over. I'm ready to get on, and I'm climbing up. And I could not lift my body weight onto the boat. Oh. I mean, I just, it's so awkward. There's no stairs. Yes. <laughs> yeah. You know, nothing to push up from the bottom. And yep. so I couldn't get on the boat. And Chris came over to just sort of give me a push up. And in that very second, as he was pushing me up onto the boat, helping me up, a massive gust of wind hit the sail. And the boat took off with me dragging behind it. Oh. And terrifying. And, yeah. you know, Chris sort of, he swam as fast as he could um, and trying to grab a line, you know, a pant leg, the boat, and he couldn't. And I wasn't up on the boat. I was kind of hanging on. I still was not up on the boat because when the wind hit the sail, it pushed me back in the water. And so I got dragged for quite some time. And to kind of set the stage, Lac La Biche is a very big lake in Alberta. It's about 23 miles long and about seven miles across. And we're right in the middle. (laughs) <laughs> oh my goodness and it's surrounded by you know farm country it's quite yeah. beautiful there so i was hanging on for dear life and um you know turned around and not a boat not in even, sight right not a boat in sight and yeah. couldn't even see chris's uh life jacket i had oh, gone wow. that far that quickly and just like in life we get these little nudges or these little voices in our head that um, either help us or hinder us. I had a helpful voice that just kind of was saying, stay with the boat, stay with the boat. Mm-hmm. And that's exactly what I did. I just hung on for dear life. And at some point, um, we think it was about at least a mile from where I got taken away from Chris. At some point, um, I don't know if I actually let go, subconsciously let go, or was torn away from the boat. But 
the result was the boat and I became separated and the boat continued sailing as just as if people were on it. Wow. And at that, yeah, at that moment I knew I was in trouble because yep. it's, you know, a three and a half mile swim. I can't see Chris and to everybody on the beach, it looks like we're out there sailing, having a great time. So I kind of, uh, I, you know, I did what lots of us do under pressure. We feel like we're swimming in circles and putting mm-hmm. out all this energy, not getting anywhere. That's what happened. I mean, I just swam in circles and treaded water and eventually, you know, just using up all your reserves. Yeah, totally. And I'm, you know, all that mattered in that moment was really the shoreline. You know, I yep. just, I've got to get to shore. And as I'm, and if you've ever swam in a life jacket, it is the absolute, um, exercise and frustration because you take a you know what it's like you take a stroke forward and then you're pushed back two strokes yeah Yeah. and then it all comes up over your your neck and everything yeah crazy yeah (laughs) meant to save your life not meant to swim in yeah and um after what seemed an eternity I heard this splashing to my right and it was Chris he had (gasps) swam all that way from where we were separated to where I was and you know quite exhaused so we, Ama- um, and I'm going to stop you for one second because amazing <laughs> that he even had the direction right. Yeah, I mean, because you, you couldn't see him. How could he see you? Right? He, he, you know, he followed my screams for help, and oh, and wow. he he watched. You know, Chris spent many years on the water, so he mm-hmm. watched where the boat was, um, and and he just kept following the path that the boat took, and he knew I, you know, You'd I'd be, be on there, there somewhere, somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> and. You know, he could have made the choice to swim to shore. Yes. And, you know, he made the choice to swim to me so we didn't have to be alone. And um, the, really, the next few hours were um, horrifying because we had to make the decision, do we huddle up and drift across the lake to yeah. a place called Owl River that's really all farm country, you know, 10 kilometers in between farms wow. sometimes. Yeah. Or swim to shore where we at least know that there's people and help and that's what we decided to do and it was you know grueling we we swam through a thunder and lightning storm we swam oh through gosh. yeah it, when the when the thunder and lightning storm happened it got so dark in the um in where we were yeah. the sky just turned black and we saw all these cars coming to the beach and we could see them because they all had their headlights yes. on us but seven or eight of them and we were, th- I remember thinking, oh my gosh, finally, they've heard They're us. Here They're here for coming. us. Yeah. They're here for us. And one by one, they turned away. They left. <gasps> they couldn't see us. Wow. How long were yeah. you actually on the water? Four and a half hours. Oh. Which without a wetsuit wow. is, yeah. Yeah. Crazy. You know, a little sidebar. The week before, I had been talking to a paramedic named Nola. And she was telling me they had just rescued somebody from the lake who, um, it was a fatality, and she said the longest people that had ever survived that lake without wetsuits was not even four hours. And so time became extremely important to yes. us that day in the lake, as you can imagine. Yes. So, you know, we swimming and, you know, getting more and more exhausted. And and uh, when I would get tired, Chris would hold my, my, um, my life jacket and swim mm-hmm. with the other hand. And when he would get tired, I would do that. And um, eventually, he he just became so cramped and hypothermic. I mean, his skin color was changing. He was vomiting. He was in and out of consciousness. Absolutely terrifying. You know, terrifying. And then, of course, when when there's no sign of help coming, you know, there's this sort of frantic um, energy, as you can imagine. 
Was there and, any uh, point that when you said, I'm just going to give up, like, it's oh, no point, useless? You know, r- there was, Frankie. And I mean, you know, I'm a pretty positive, optimistic person. Yeah. But I'll tell you, when you're in a situation where you feel helpless and, and hope really did feel like it was sinking that day into the bottom mm-hmm. of the lake, there were many times that my brain took me to very scary places, you know, mm-hmm. not making it. Mm-hmm. But what's really interesting is... Um, I remember at one point I'm thinking, I just can't do this. I hurt so much. Like my body was so tired and so sore. And, but I knew I had to get help for Chris because he was going in and out of consciousness. And, and, you know, part of what I discovered is that when we're letting those awful thoughts uh, feed into our brain, you Mm -hmm. lose your ability to swim. Like when I was thinking uh, despair, you know, or what if, or if I don't make it, who's going to feed the dog? When did I call mom and dad last? You mm-hmm. know, all these thoughts that come up. When I allowed them to take a lot of space in my head, my physical ability to swim actually deteriorated. Yeah. Yet when I would get angry, interestingly enough, this was a good time frame. When I get yeah. angry and, you know, be thinking, I'm going to make it. Like, I've got a dog to feed at home. Um, You know, I have family that need to hear from me. And when I would put those thoughts into my head, sort of empowering thoughts or Mm -hmm. sort of fuel this anger into empowerment, I felt like Wonder Woman swimming in the lake. (laughs) Yeah, I understand that. I get really angry. I clean my house. (laughs) Get a good clean. Get out of that vacuum. But but also like what you will do for somebody else, you don't do for yourself sometimes, right? Like love makes you do for him. Yeah, yeah, and it helps you overcome um, fear. And you know, at one at one point, um, Chris just his body had cramped. He'd swam that extra distance to come and be with me, and he just said, "Shar, you know, you need you need to go get help." and and I said, well, I'm not leaving you. And he said, but you need to, you need to leave me here and you need to swim like crazy and you need to bring back help. And, and I think he noticed that, that look on my face that probably told him, you know, um, that I didn't want to leave. And he, he didn't tell me how dire it was for him, but he knew he was on a very, very short time frame sure. you know, and, sure. and he could feel his body shutting down and. And so he said I had to leave him, and I wasn't going to go. And then he said something that changed everything, Frankie. Yeah. <laughs> he looked me square in the eye, and he says, you know, when we get back to shore, you've got a wedding to plan. So, and apparently There's a proposal go, for you. There's a proposal. <laughs> I have one of the ones from the movies, and I check off like Wonder Woman. Yeah. <laughs> we all, we, we joked at our wedding a year later that, um, he says, I don't even know if she said goodbye. She just took off like a shot with the promise of the wedding ring. Yeah, there's the carrot. <laughs> <laughs> now you're, now but, you got it. Yeah, but, you know, so- it was it was amazing because, uh, in the sense that, um, you know, his, his being so clear in that moment of, um, you know, dire situation, he yeah. sort of, he sort of surrendered to the situation, whereas I did not. And he just sort of surrendered to it. And, um, you know. You. He put yeah. his trust in you that you were going to make it. We're going to go to commercial yeah. break, and we're going to finish our story when we come back. Because, you know what? A good cliffhanger is always a good place to stop. <laughs> Don't go anywhere. You're going to want to hear the end of this story. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's words you never heard. Have you ever 
wondered where the terms used in computer speak originated? The word cookie, that packet of information that travels between a browser and web server, is named after the fortune cookie, a cookie with an embedded message. Rebooting the computer is literally pulling yourself up by your bootstraps. The name Google was originally coined in 1938 by Milton Sirota, nephew of mathematician Edward Kasner, during a discussion of large numbers. Uh, Google is the number one, followed by 100 zeros. The word Yahoo was originally invented by Jonathan Swift and used in his book Gulliver's Travels. It's a derogatory term for a person who is repulsive in appearance. Yahoo founders Jerry Yang and David Philo selected the name because they considered themselves Yahoos. It's I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert Annette Hammond. Having a tone-tight abdominal area, or better known as a six-pack, is highly desirable to many men and women. Unfortunately, you cannot spot reduce in that area of your body, or in any area for that matter. One exercise myth is that you can do a multitude of crunches to achieve that sculpted look for your abs. While doing crunches is a very good idea and an important element to any exercise routine, it will not give you a six-pack. The reason is that unless you lose weight and keep your body weight low, you will still have a layer of body fat on top of your muscles. Your ab muscles underneath that fat may be toned and sculpted, but the fat that's on top of them is preventing you from seeing that. Include fat-burning cardio exercise in your daily workout along with your crunches. I'm Annette Hammond. If you're a fan of Fitness Minute, like us on Facebook at Fitness Minute with Annette Hammond. You are back. It's Mission Unstoppable Radio. In case you forgot, you're listening to I am your host, Frankie Picasso. My guest today is Charmaine Hammond. And if you needed proof, any more proof that she was unstoppable, you're going to hear the end of her rescue story to her then boyfriend about to become husband because he proposed in the water. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but so, Charmaine, you know, he was throwing up. He, there had been thunderstorms. It's dark. You guys have been in the water over four hours. Um, the longest anybody had ever lasted, mm. and he goes, "Honey, you got to go and you got to go, you got to go find help because it's not. I'm not going to be able to do it anymore. This is yeah. it. It's dire, yeah. dire, dire for both of you. Yes, more and more, definitely more so for him. Did the yeah, strength was... come for you from just? I can't let Chris die. I can't let Chris die. Yeah, you know, I don't even remember thinking that. It's so weird." what your brain does hmm. in a moment of crisis to protect you. Yeah. Uh, so I don't even, I just remember feeling desperate that I had to like, you know, when you get a hyperactive sort of feeling of energy that it's almost so frenetic that you can't contain it. That's yeah. what I felt like. Like I felt, I remember feeling like my hands were just flopping about like crazy and you know, that I was just swimming like a mad woman. And what was so interesting is, is I just remember thinking, get to the shoreline, get to the shoreline. And, and mm-hmm. when I would feel like I was slowing down, I would actually out loud talk to myself. Um, and it, before I had left Chris, it was, this is kind of a funny part to the story. Before I had left Chris, he had kind of had an, we had an argument in the lake because he told me to stop screaming like a girl. And he said, <laughs> you're, screaming like, you're screaming help like a girl. Help, help. What he was meaning is that on the lake, your voice, when you use a high-pitched voice, uh-huh. 
your voice just is lost into the wind. So he said, you're putting out all this energy and no one will hear you. He said, you need to sound like a foghorn. And I thought, what? So he starts yelling like this, Frankie. (laughs) (laughs) And and as (laughs) as we do, uh, you know, I, I, I turned to him. This is just, you know, the funny things we do under crisis. I turned to him and said, Chris, stop yelling like that. What will people think? You sound like a weirdo. But (laughs) however, (laughs) when I had to leave him, um, and I started sound, screaming like a foghorn, not like a, in my girly voice. And all of a sudden, and, and, and this is, I have no way to explain this other than what it felt like. All of a sudden, as I'm swimming, keeping the shoreline in mind, I don't see any boats in the distance. A boat simply appears. It was like somebody lowered it down and put it right in front of me. Didn't hear it coming. It was a little metal boat with a dad and a son. Boy was about 13. And they came to me, and I just told them, go get Chris, and pointed to where he was. And I just, my whole body kind of collapsed. I just kind of floated there. I knew I was safe now, and I could just sort of surrender. And, um, you know, they went and got Chris, and he was in really bad shape. He, um, you know, they... How amazing that they found him and found (laughs) you. How far do you think he's gone? Uh, When you left him, like, five minutes, ten minutes? Yeah, um, I think it was probably about 30 minutes. Oh, wow. So, yeah. So I had, you know, covered a little bit of distance and, and they found them. And um, what were they doing out there? There had just been a thunderstorm. What were they doing out there? Did they say? Here's the interesting thing. That young boy in the boat that he was 13, we talked to him as we were setting up the boat on the beach. And he just oh. he thought it was the coolest thing. And I and he helped us push the boat in the water. And and he was watching. And when we later met our rescuers, because once they rescued us and we got back on shore and they kind of revived Chris. Um, I don't remember sort of anything after that other than talking to them and eventually going home and phoning my mom and dad and, um, and my sisters. But a couple of years later, the campground where we got back to, where we set sail from, they phoned us and they said, the family that rescued you is here and they'd love to meet you. And oh. so that's when we got the whole story, Frankie. <laughs> and Wow. And, so what we didn't recall or blocked or you know maybe have yeah. no memory of, um, so they said that they heard the cries for help immediately after the boat, fl- like once the boat flipped and, and I was um, being dragged screaming behind like a girl. it. <laughs> right, screaming like a girl. They actually heard it, but it, wow. the voices were so distorted. They thought it was a car accident. They had all these people driving up and down the streets in this little rural community. Wow. People phoning, to see, asking neighbors if there's an accident by their house. And, and it was the young boy who, who thought, wow, those people that were sailing have been gone a while, and I can't see their boat anymore because mm-hmm. the boat had actually made it the whole seven miles across the lake. It yes. ended up exactly across from our home. We could see wow. it in our binoculars. And the RCMP brought it back the next day. So it was that boy who kind of, for whatever reason, something made him think something's not right and we need to go find those people. And and so his dad and he went out and he wrote, he won a little award. He uh, yeah, I was just going to say, did you get an award? Because well, should, yeah. Yeah, and... and um, so yeah, forever grateful to to that man and and his family, and and often think about them. Well, this is you know mm-hmm. a, a real testament though to to you and and 
you know, your reserves and, and just being unstoppable and not letting anything, you know, stop you from, from your mission. And yeah. I guess who you are, you know, that that's inside you and nobody can take that away from you. Um, right. One thing, another thing that described you that I found out was that you, I'm not going to say you're recovering because I think that you probably have recovered already. You recovered oh, no. perfectionist. <laughs> It never ends, Frankie. It never it's a lifelong ends. journey to recover from perfectionism. <laughs> That's really tough. I watch, you know, yeah. I watch a son and a daughter who, my daughter would, you know, she has this beautiful handwriting and she would get halfway and if she had one little mistake, she'd have to start again. And I'd be like, ah, rub it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That's what oh. erasers are for. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, you have to start all over again. And I'm yeah, like, oh, that that's a painful life. That's painful. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah, I was a still, I think, a recovering perfectionist, but uh, definitely not as hard on myself. And it was my first dog, Toby, that stopped me from being a perfectionist, believe it or not. It's Let's amazing. talk about the to- <laughs> Toby. Toby. Oh, my gosh. What a sweetheart. And you know, <laughs> I'm, I was in love with him, like, from the, the, the first page, honestly. Yeah. He's so cute. So you, you, <laughs> you'd had Dukes, right? Was it Dukes? Yep. White German and Shepherd Dukes. White yep. German Shepherd Dukes. And unfortunately, you know, his time had come and he went across the Rainbow Bridge and it was time to get another furry friend. How did Toby come into being? Well, you know, we we um we found him on the internet. <laughs> I found my love on the internet. Yeah. And Chris was looking uh, at pitch actually at pictures of dogs and he saw this gorgeous Chesapeake Bay Retriever. So they're, they're, you know, in the Retriever family, but they've got these mass, they're really big heads. And he was sort of an auburn color, but these eyes, amber eyes and a pink tongue that went on forever hanging out of the side of his face. And the curly little hair on the back. (laughs) The curly hair on the back. And, and so we went to the rescue agency. He was five. Toby was five Mm -hmm. and, and uh, had been rescued. And uh, we went there and met him and I was in love and, uh, you know, I think Chris was too, although he wouldn't admit it then. <laughs> he was at least in life. Exactly, <laughs> he was in life. And Toby was working really hard to actually get Chris to like him at the little adoption Aww. interview. And yeah, so we brought him home the next day. You know, we had to sleep on it. And, you know, I didn't even sleep. I just waited yeah. till the time we could go pick him up. And, and so five years old, he was this perfect pet for the first six months. Mm-hmm. And then it was almost like the day the adoption is kind of follow, final Complete. six months later. <laughs> <laughs> he turns into this other creature. Chris comes home from work one day and the house is destroyed. I mean, it's there's water everywhere, mud everywhere, bubbles everywhere, broken stuff everywhere, furniture that's been moved. The house was a complete disaster. And, you know, he thought some crime had happened there. And yeah. my neighbor said to him, no, no, no. The only crime that happened was named Toby. <laughs> <laughs> so our, our beloved creature turned into a dog that, uh, you know, we... A we, Jekyll and Hyde. A Jekyll and Hyde. And, you know, we thought, man, are we going to be able to keep this dog? But we brought a behaviorist in. Her name was Maggie. Well, and she, that, wait, wait, wait. You over yeah. here. You swept over it because it's not that he messed up your house once. No, you went, what seventeen toilet lids did he bring? Oh, like, that's we were, crazy. We were no, yeah, we were known as the toilet tank lid people at home. <laughs> <laughs> he had this thing about he would lock himself in the bathroom. He'd go into the bathroom. You could be anywhere in the house, and you'd hear silence. Then you'd hear the little 
or the heavy pitter-patter of feet, and then you'd hear a, a bathroom door close, the light, the clicking of the closing. Yeah. And, and he'd never break the toilet tank lid when we were there, but he would constantly trap himself in the, the bathroom. And we had to tell visitors, like, close the door all the way because he'll barge in and, you know, he'll sit in there and sure. wait for you to come out with them. And so, yeah, he would, when we weren't home, he would break toilet tank And he could lids turn and, taps on. Oh, turn taps on and just, oh my god! Took gosh. all your clothes out of the front hall closet. Absolutely. Just, it was just, you know. My son has a dog like that. Oh, really? Every day they the come pain. home, all the clothes are out of the, out of the front hall closet. Really? Sometimes he takes them all up to the bedroom. All the shoes. He's taking food out of the pantry and taking it up to the bedroom and spilled it everywhere. Oh my Like, gosh. this is constantly, you know, all the trim. Like, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm going, Toby, Toby too. And I thought we have to ask Charmaine because I said to my son, I said, your dog needs a job. He's a shepherd husky. I go, your dog needs a job. Oh yeah. Yeah. So here we go. And then I read your book. He really does need a job. (laughs) (laughs) Well, who knew? And that's what the behaviorist said. You know, we were trying to correct the behavior on his own and everything we tried didn't work. And so Maggie comes in and says, your dog's a dog who needs a job and a purpose. And so we actually got him a job. He became a therapy dog at a mental health facility. So he and I, every Wednesday, off to mental health, um, to Edmonton, um, Edmonton Hospital. And uh, we did that for four and a half years. And that's where I stopped being a perfectionist. Because you can't have a dog like Toby yes. and have perfection in your life. But, you know, it's, again, another testament to you, Charmaine, about love. Because you really, you know, showed great patience and love for this mm. animal. And I feel like I would have been the same, but my husband would have, like, got a shotgun out. And got, this guy's gone. Gone, gone, gone. <laughs> <laughs> like, we're not doing this anymore. Oh. So, you know, you really are a wonderful dispute resolution expert because you managed to get your husband to keep your dog until you, know, you got him under control. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was a that was you know certainly a big challenge. But um, oh, I'm so sorry. We're going to commercial break. How did oh. that happen so quickly? God, didn't we just get back? I know. <laughs> oh, oh my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> we'll find out a little bit more about Toby Junior and Senior uh, when we come back from our commercial break. And if you have a dog like this, stick around. You're going to want to hear how to how to help you and him. Because <laughs> <laughs> Charmaine says it's not the dog. You don't get the dog you want. You get the dog you need. Here yeah. we go. Yeah. Don't stop. That's right. Don't stop listening. Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso will continue right after these messages. Stop. It's merging down A new study finds the happiest couples sleep the closest together, as in less than an inch apart. A survey of 1,000 couples found that 86% of those who kept such close perimeters reported they were satisfied with their relationship. Only 66% of couples who slept 30 inches apart or more reported being completely happy in their marriage. What's the word for getting up on the wrong side of the bed? Metutalipia. Another predictor of relationship happiness is touch. While 94% of couples who made physical contact throughout the night reported a happy relationship, just 68% of couples who kept their distance did the same. What's the word for the semi-conscious state between sleep and wakefulness? Hypnopompic. Hypnopompic. 
I'm Carolyn Davidson, and you can have fun challenging your words you never heard vocabulary with my free app, Too Funny for Words. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When it comes to maintaining your present weight and keeping your heart healthy, 10,000 is the magic number. You need to take at least 10,000 steps a day, so clip on your pedometer and start walking. The average man takes 7,000 steps per day, while women take 5,000 steps. People walked more on workdays, weekdays, and the days they participated in sports and exercise. At the end of the day, check your pedometer and see how many steps you've taken. If you need more to reach your goal of 10,000, go for a walk or a run. Everything counts. Shopping, cleaning the house, mowing the lawn, walking to and from your car. It all needs to add up to the magic number of 10,000 steps per day. For the Fitness Minute, I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. So, uh, Toby, um, we're back with Charmaine Hammond, and, and we're talking about Toby, the first Toby, uh, who who actually launched as Charmaine said off off air, launched her own yeah. dreams. But before we go there, I, I just want to say that that Toby did work in a mental health facility and helped so many people that he won the Reese Award uh, mm-hmm. for exceptional work as a therapy dog. And the Reese Award is named after Reese, who was a German Shepherd, who was an excellent therapy dog. So isn't that wonderful that a dog is giving another dog an award? I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was a pretty proud moment. <laughs> yeah. So you know, here here this dog that. Jekyll and Hyde, but he just brought so much joy and love to everybody. And as you said, he taught you not to be a perfectionist. And he started um, you on your own dreams because you didn't even know that you wanted to be an author. And here you are. You wrote a Chicken Soup for the Soul article about Toby and got your got first try, got it in the book, got to, (laughs) you know, Mark Victor Hansen. Wow. Yeah, it was pretty cool. And I, you know, never forget the, uh, we went to chapters and had a lineup of about 60 people waiting for Toby and I to show up for the book signing. And we had trained uh, Toby, who got this on like attempt number three, to potograph his books. We had Isn't that fantastic? <laughs> spring-loaded you, stamp and he pushed it down. That. I love that. <laughs> that was great. Yeah, you get a little paw print stamp on, you know, on his copy of the book. How cool is that? Well, and you know, he present Frankie. He presented with uh, me to ten thousand students across North America before he passed away. I mean, he was just this amazing champion of resilience, and he had this old soul to him. And interestingly enough, the day he started working, he did not destroy our house after he got a job. There was still the occasional toilet yeah. tank lid that usually came out of you know it thundered, or there was some reason for him to you know, feel that breaking toilet tank lids, we think, was his coping mechanism. I mean, I can think of some other healthier things he could have done. Yeah, but <laughs> like, it would have been loud. He didn't like loud noises, which is kind of yeah. funny in a way. But yeah, you know, know what? The book is called On Toby's Terms. Please, please, please make yourself happy today. Order that book. You can get it for Kindle for like $3 and something, like, or buy the hard copy. I think the hard copy is like $800. <laughs> Very hard to find. But, uh, but no, honestly, go, go and order this book. It's a beautiful, beautiful story. Read it to your children. Read it to, you know, whoever, because it was, I loved it. Just And, and many, many people loved it. Hundreds of thousands of people loved it. Uh, because, you know what? Um, he's very popular. They made a movie. 
Yeah. Right? Yeah. yeah. Not it yet. Yeah, not He's made like Candace Marley and me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Movie's not made yet. It's a long process, but uh, yeah. we're, we're getting there. And, and, you know, he, um, you know, he started this mission, you know, a kindness mission. And when he passed away and, and another dog found his way into our heart, uh, you know, to- Toby senior kind of started this kindness mission and then Toby junior uh, found his way again through the internet to us and, and um, well, let's talk about the kindness mission. The work because yeah. we mentioned that you went on this fourteen thousand kilometer tour in a you know thirty two foot sponsored motorhome. Yeah, million acts of kindness. What what's that all about? Like, where did that come from exactly? Well, I've written two children's books as well. One of them about uh, hospital therapy dogs, mm-hmm. and the other one about bully prevention. And um, so we started doing presentations with with um, Toby Jr. And, and I just really wanted to make a bigger difference in the world related to kindness and wanted to continue the work that Toby Sr. had started mm-hmm. helping kids. Like Animals are great examples yeah. of kindness because they just accept you. They don't care what you look like no. and what you wore to work or school. And both of our dogs had this uncanny ability in an audience of 500 kids. They could find that one student who needed them the most in that moment. It oh. blew me away every time. And so one, it was not until a little three-year-old boy who waited until our presentation and he came up, he really wanted to meet Toby and I, and he presented me with his first book and screenplay. Now he was in grade three. Wow. And he want, I know. And it was a little story about a Martian family, his own, <laughs> yes. that were going on a journey. And he was going to make a YouTube video, and then he was going to sell it to Sony. That's what he told me. <laughs> How beautiful. But, you know, it was, his, it was his enthusiasm and care about his dream. I mean, he really was clear on his dream, and his mom and dad were his biggest champions. And he, he said to me, Toby gets it. And Toby's kind to us just because of who we are. And I thought, mm-hmm. oh. And that's when I woke up with this, you know, idea that I had to put into motion, which was we need to go across North America teaching kindness and yes. doing kindness. And yes. that's what we did. Fraser Ware RV. love that. <laughs> Sponsoring a 32-foot motorhome. And wow. Fraser Ware RV, they were awesome. We called it the kindness mobile. And they really gave us the wheels, you know, the vehicle to 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 do this and and that's what we were on is a mission to um, build to more bring kindness, kindness to bring kindness and to inspire ideas for people to to bring kindness into their worlds and and so it was an amazing experience just imagine you know if everybody just met people through their heart and instead of with their yeah. eyes and yeah. just you know, offered up love instead of all the negativity that's out there today. And what a different world we would live in if we just treated people like our pets did. Oh, you know, with a, I remember we were out at one point and um, there was a, a gentleman who was homeless in, a, in one of the downtown cores. And he was making this beautiful music on margarine tubs and those plastic yeah. pails and flower tubs. And I, I just, I could hear this drumming and I thought, what is that noise? It's just beautiful. It's such an unusual sound. And as we're walking, you know, I can hear this. So I, he had an extra pickle jar. So I just kind of flip it over and I'm sitting down watching this concert. And when he, when he finished, he came up to me and he asked me if I could, he could hug me. And I said, well, yeah, I was going to ask you first, but sure. you beat me to it. And he said, I want to thank you for looking in my eyes. And Aww. I just thought, oh, I, I fell apart. And I thought. 
what must it be like to 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 be, be invisible every day at, to be invisible oh yeah. my gosh and he just you know the, he became an, a profound teacher for me in life about you know whatever i'm doing in life to re- be reminding myself it's so easy we get our head down and you yep. know we're busy but i just try every day to just smile at people and to notice people and I've met so many people through the years that say they've felt invisible or felt unnoticed. Yes. And, and I thought, you know what? I and they were unnoticed. That. Yeah, they because, were unnoticed. You know, it's our guilt. We feel guilty when we see people, you know, who are living on the street yeah. or people who are homeless and we think, oh, they need help, but I, I'm too busy or I, I'm afraid to touch them or I don't want to. Or I to don't know how to help. Or, or, yeah. 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 And so they, they, they don't look. They yeah. don't look. And how awful to feel invisible, you yeah. know? Like really, yeah. really awful. Boy, you are certainly a special lady. And we can all learn big lessons from you, Charmaine. But Aww. what I really love, I mean, all out of all of this, though, you still manage to have it all sponsored, even your poop bags. I mean, come on. How, <laughs> so tell us about, we're going to, you know, we're at the last leg of the show. So tell yeah. us about Raise a Dream and how, how is it possible that you help people find all this sponsorship? Well, we had such a great experience with the Million Acts of Kindness Tour, and, and sponsorship and collaboration has always been at the root of my business. I've had my business 23 years, and I've just seen the goodness that happens when people get inspired and work on an idea together. And in Raise a Dream, we we basically took, we being Rebecca Kirstein and I, who mm-hmm. are the founders of Raise a Dream, we're both so inspired about helping people raise their dreams, that project that keeps them up at night, getting that launched mm-hmm. into the world and making a difference by doing what they love. And so that's what we do now is we teach people, authors, speakers, coaches, entrepreneurs, how to raise their dream and how to bring their dream into the world because both of us firmly believe that when our dreams get launched, you know, that's what really, really makes shifts in our planet. For sure. It makes the world a better place. And and collaboration, I, you know, I've met thousands of people around the globe as a speaker and an author. And I think out of the thousands of people that I've met, you know, I can think of two that really, you know, blatantly were not helpful. The majority of people we meet in life, they want to yeah. help. They want to be part of something bigger than themselves but here's the deal they don't know how to help if we don't let them know what our dream is so we become kind of dream champions helping people i love that dream champion (laughs) dream champions at www.raiseadream.com run to their site (laughs) run to their site and you know having a dream and and pulling it off is 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 one thing i think you know um Mm -hmm. and that's like amazing how you do that now, is it all, do you have like mastermind groups or do you help them one-on-one? You know, is there, is there, like, is it too, is it expensive to do it or can, is there a cheap plan or? <laughs> yeah, there, there's a cheap plan. You gotta, yeah, we actually have a fantastic online program. It's called the Big Dream Primer. And so people can work at their own pace mm-hmm. and it gives them the tools that Rebecca and I use. It gives them their seven-step module or uh, method, their seven-step plan of sponsorship. But I think what it really does is it helps keep that dream alive and mm-hmm. it helps people step into action and really build powerful relationships that will help them launch their dream. It kind of gives them confidence. And then we also have retreats and live events and workshops and webinars. So there's lots of ways that we work with people 
um, you know, and both Rebecca and I are these natural connectors. We're just like you, yeah. Frankie. We, we yeah. naturally just <laughs> see these connections of people that have to know each other. Yeah. And that's a big part of, we do, of what we do is just helping bridge relationships and and natural connections so people can work together to raise their dreams. And it's important because, you know, a lot of times, especially with entrepreneurs and their dreams, they don't have a community that believes in them. Like the people around them are usually afraid of what they're yeah. about to do. And so it's so helpful to have people like yourself and Rebecca who will inspire you and the communities that you've brought together, the birds of a feather, really, um, that they can talk to and be inspired by because, you know, oftentimes families and friends can be dream killers, not dream builders. Yeah. And yeah. that's what you need, right? Totally. I mean, you need your circle of what we call champions or influencers. Yeah. And I have the pleasure of one of my colleagues who you also know very well, Teresa de Grobois, who heads mm-hmm. up the Evolutionary Business Council, and my uh, other business partner, Joseph Ranseth. We host this event every year called the Global Influence Summit. Mm-hmm. And that's what we do is we help people really build influence because part of what makes dreams come alive, and, and I should say that most people's dreams are actually way bigger then they allow themselves to think. Yeah. And so, you know, isn't it true? We see things in people that they can't see in themselves. And that's what I love about helping people build influence um, is because other people will take on um, the messaging of your dream. They'll help be a connector for you. They'll help be the influencer for things, good things to happen for you. Charmaine Hammond, the dreamer, the dream, <laughs> the dream queen, if you want to call it, raiseadream.com. Thank you so much for being my guest today. We've run out of time for the show, but wow, thank you so very much. What an unstoppable woman is Charmaine Aww. Hammond. Run and grab her books, run to raiseadream.com. And, you know, if you have a dream that you want to uh, bring into life, uh, definitely seek her out. Thanks again for tuning in to Mission Unstoppable Radio. I'm your host, Frankie Picasso, and I will be back again next week, next Tuesday, same time, same channel. Take care. Don't stop. When the chips were down, they didn't stop. Stories of people who, when the odds were against them, turned defeat into victory. You've been listening to Mission Unstoppable with Coach Frankie Picasso. See you next time, and always remember... Don't, 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 don't stop.